Hello, you are very welcome to the Inside Our Schools podcast, podcast where we put all the current issues around teaching in Irish secondary schools under the microscope. I'm your host, Andrew Phelan. And you're very welcome to the third episode of the Inside Our Schools uh, podcast recorded on the 8th of January uh, 2021. Uh, wow, I suppose, is the word. Uh, what a what a few days uh, in terms of education in Ireland. Um, and, you know, with the minister announcing that six years were to go back and probably uh, the, or definitely the, the biggest uh, crisis in terms of COVID that the country has seen uh, escalating cases uh, and it provoked a massive reaction from the trade unions from the teachers the students to uh, school principals uh, the, the reaction was huge uh, unprecedented uh, I would say and it um, it ended up in a U-turn uh, in the Minister's and the Department of Education's uh, decision. Um, so today we're going to discuss, obviously, the fallout, uh, what happened exactly, what has the reaction been like, um, and where does it leave us now? Um, and so to, to discuss all these issues, we have Derek Hobbs, who's a, a business and LCVP teacher. We have Evelyn Lee, who is an English history and special education teacher. We have Tiernan Lee Flynn, who is Evelyn's son, and he's a sixth-year student. We have Christopher Davey, who's a physics and science teacher. And I suppose we have a resident guest then. We have Mark Walsh, who's a computer science and modern foreign languages teacher. I just want to stress once again that anybody who's participating in the podcast is given their own personal opinion and is not given the opinion of their trade union, if they are in one, or of their school, uh, or wherever they work. It's, it's their own personal um, opinion. They're representing themselves. Well, lads, uh, thank you very much uh, for coming along. I think we'll all agree it's been a, a bit of a, a mad uh, 48 hours um, to be a teacher. Um, I suppose at the announcement on, on Wednesday that uh, schools were going to return uh, for six years, um, I've never seen uh, an outcry like it, uh, and I'm involved in the union actively, I suppose, 10 years. The amount of emails, phone calls, text messages um, to me, because, of course, I'm on the, the standing committee of, of the ASTI, uh, just venting uh, that this was terrible. How could this happen? Um, so uh, it, it was incredible. Um, and then, of course, it all snowballed. Um, and you had uh, students, there was uh, students from around the country saying that they weren't going to go in on Monday. Uh, Six-year students were signing letters, sending them in, and you had some principals' organizations saying that they weren't going to open their schools. So the whole thing just snowballed, and I suppose culminated or, or, or finished up uh, then with the ASTI's uh, statement then that they, they were directing the members to not uh, go in to physically teach uh, on the Monday, and that it was to be remote learning. And then a few minutes later then, the department through the minister pulled the plug um, on, the, on their plan. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a bit crazy. And I just wondering from our guests here, we have a couple of teachers um, and we have a, a Leaving Search student. And of course, one of the teachers is a, is a parent as well of a Leaving Search student. So just to get a bit of perspective on how we all felt over the last few hours and how we felt about the decision of the minister and how we felt about uh, ultimately what happened um, so leave it open whoever wants to jump in jump in thank you everyone can you go ahead yeah. there Derek yeah, for, yeah can I just start by thanking yourself uh, 
for this podcast, Andrew. I think it's a great idea for members that maybe don't get to participate in the union should you know the normal things like the CEC and convention and branch meetings for whatever reason I think it's a great idea yeah what I wanted to say was in the last I think that the correct decision was made that's what's probably the feeling in our school uh, eventually and it's, it's just a shame that they had to be forced into make the the u-turn after all the unnecessary anxiety that they cause students and parents teachers school management I mean with 8,000 plus cases a day and Without testing close contacts, it didn't seem any way possible to be bringing people into building or any way like a good idea to anybody except for, it seems, the minister and the department. But um, it's perhaps a good thing that they tried to put us in and then had to backtrack because I, I think that the dogs in the, in the street could see when, when the minister was being interviewed or when any of the cabinet were being interviewed over the last few days, they all threw out the same mantra. Uh, you know, Neffet have said repeatedly in writing that schools are safe, consistently persistent, that schools are safe, schools are safe, safe etc. Right? And you can feel the frustration and the size in the presenters that were interviewing them on RTE or whatever it was, and also in the public were getting frustrated because the obvious question was, have you asked them, is it safe now, mm. today, in this unprecedented, you know, drastically different context and reality? And it was obvious they hadn't. And I, I'm hoping that, I say it's a good thing that it happened because I'm hoping that maybe this will open the public's eyes as well to say, well, if they were that deceitful or misleading when it was obvious to us now, maybe they haven't been openly or 100% transparent and honest up to now. Because I don't know how you feel, but I just from, from the perspective of my school, talking to my, some of my colleagues and also friends that are in teaching, I don't think any of us have felt properly safe since September. I know we kept on hearing in the news how safe schools were, and it's all great. You know, the, the, consistently since September, they've been saying that, but the stats may look like things are safe, but, you know, the, it was Ronald Cook, you know, the British economist who said, if you, if you torture the data long enough, it'll confess. So, like, I don't think a lot of teachers had faith or trust in what the department or NEFIT or HSE were doing in terms of testing and, and the way they're presenting the data. Because I'm sure we've all had situations, I know my wife teaches in a school where students had tested positive, but the only reason she and her colleagues knew about it was because colleagues of hers who teach in the school, their own kids were in that school, and they found out through their own kids, not through the school communication channels. And this has happened over and over again. You know, they're only discovering it anecdotally. And people were saying in, in the staff rooms, geez, I was in with that kid for three classes in the last two days, and I, you know, and I saw him at so-and-so, and none of us have been sent for testing or told to isolate. And I'm going, if I think back to your previous podcast when Shane's thing was mentioned that his son had been in a classroom with some kid that tested positive and wasn't deemed, nobody was deemed a close contact. Everybody was told to go back in. And only for Seamus had the foresight to send his own kid for a test on the Monday. He prevented his kid possibly going in because he tested positive. And the question has to be asked, where does Seamus' son fit in the stats? Is he going to be a community transmission, I would highly, I, I would be confident that that's exactly what he ended up. He won't fit, fit into the data of schools, if you understand what I'm saying. So I think that there's a lot, of, there was a lot of distrust on behalf of the people who were there in the classrooms and they never felt as safe as the public were being told they were. And I'm, I, I think it was the best decision because as important as the even said is, uh, I think safety has to be first. 
Yeah, I think that, what stood out to me there, Derek, as well, like even if the numbers, like, there is, of course, from the last podcast, the last day, we do have questions over the numbers and whether they were community, whether they were school and how they were registered and so on. But let's suppose even the numbers were 100 percent. This is the schools are safe. What really stood out is in the press conference, it's, as you just said, the repeatedness. And they're not, I even, I even picked up, they weren't even saying schools are safe. They were using the word schools have been safe. That's what they were saying. So it's mm. almost like they were using words to give the impression to the general public and to teachers uh, that these schools were safe, so why can't we open them? But, and the Minister Foley even gave the dates of when they were safe, and it ended in December, <laughs> you know, yeah. before all this kicked off. She actually said schools have been safe, and she said from such and such a date, I think it was in September sometime to December, they have been safe places. But cases were 7,000, 6,000 a day and rising at this point. Nobody said schools are safe to go into come Monday. Nobody said that, yeah. you know. Uh, they just said schools have been safe environments. That's one thing that just stood out to me. And it's, it's the kind of deceitfulness, I suppose, around the language that was used, I found, was a, was a bit strange. And I think there's still questions should be asked about that. Why were they using that language? Why were they, you know, you know. But anyway, I suppose they, they never came through. Uh, and, and, and prove that schools were safe and that's ultimately why we ended up where we, where we are mm-hmm. there's, there's two kind of reasons why we can't go back at the minute, one of them will be the genuinely huge overwhelming numbers of COVID that are circulating in the community you know anecdotally we could see that schools were starting to creak nationally when there was like say 1,500, 1,600 cases per day we're now in a situation where we had 8,000 cases uh, today, over 8,000. Mm. You know, that's, mm. that's ridiculous. Secondly, we've, we've also seen that like now we had the UK variant that the government they're telling us is responsible for 25% of the COVID that are circulating today. We now have had three cases of the, uh, three specific cases of the uh, South African variant um, that are circulating today. We know scientifically that those two variants are way way more transmissible and contribute really really significantly to the to the your number increasing and they have a huge effect on covid spreading whether it is one meter or two meter within our schools like if you're telling me that there's a student in my class or a student in any class that has a 50 percent more transmissible strain of covid your one meter is is a laughable distance. It's really, really pathetic. Mask or no mask. And we need to really, really be teasing that out and kind of going and we need to be asking a question, right? What is the acceptable case though that we can kind of say, well, say schools are safe? Yeah, I think I think schools is like I know. A lot of schools have done an incredible job. I know some schools have perspects up between people in science labs and, and you know, they, they, they've, they've, they've done an incredible job in trying to make schools safe. But you have the whole question then of the airborne thing. Like there's models that show uh, one person in a classroom for, for an hour, um, five ended up having COVID. Um, and if you were in a mask, four end up having COVID. So it was only one less mm. because you're wearing a mask. There's, you know, so that there is serious questions around all of this, but... I suppose we are where we are now in that the cases were so high that we've meant was eventually got a turnaround on this. Uh, so teachers and students, of course, and their wider families will be a lot safer uh, come Monday um, because of that decision, you know. 
And I took Tiernan out of school. Evelyn's a, Evelyn, you're a parent before. of a sixth year. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I took Tiernan out of school the week before Christmas holidays, and I took my daughter out as well because my dad is on oxygen and it's his last Christmas, so I want to be able to see him. I know I can keep myself safe as a teacher. I kind of stood at the door towards the last week teaching, but... um. I know my kids can't because I I see as a teacher, I think as a parent and a teacher, I think I see more of what's going on. So it makes me more nervous sending them in. And and the kids aren't even a meter apart in some classes. I've 30 in an English class. There's no room in the class. They're on top of each other. There's an SNA in the class and there's me. Um, So I know what I'm sending my kids into. And um, I wouldn't have sent my kids in on Monday. Mm. There's no way. There's no way. Because... Tiernan school they're coming from Kildare they're coming from Mead and they're coming from Dublin they're all over they're on buses mm. and I don't think it's safe and in any way how, how did Tiernan feel himself um about how do you about, feel Tiernan going back in oh Tiernan's here is he <laughs> yeah. yeah well um welcome Tiernan I wouldn't be nervous because um my school are generally quite good about it um we're usually a meter apart, if not more. Uh, they kind of drew the line of that. We have a lot of big rooms in our school. Okay. Um, but I certainly would have been a bit nervous. With the mm. numbers now. Yeah. yeah. Not before Christmas, but now you'd be nervous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then I suppose we're not going in now. So there is generally, I think, a, a sense of relief um, around um, what, what happened. Um, but that we're not going in. I mean... I know I, was, I mentioned at the beginning the amount of emails I got with objections to this, like an incredible amount of emails after the decision was made, kind of expressing relief, you know, um, at, at the decision uh, that that was made, but at the U-turn that was made. But um, back Tiernan, just did you hear of anything, uh, not not to put you on the spot or not to mention your school or not to put anybody in your school on the spot but did you hear or did you get a sense that opposition was building from six-year students in general around the country uh, on that day or, or, or were you oblivious to it or, or um well i don't really have contact with about three other people yeah and um they don't really listen to the news as much so no not really yeah i would say we exposed you didn't care well, yeah, we're going yeah. back to <laughs> there was, but it, it, there was, it was. I've seen huge amounts of letters um, that were sent in. You know, the various teaching WhatsApp groups from different schools going around that were, you know, there were students saying that they weren't going to go in. You know, um, so that that put a lot of pressure too. Uh, I think so. The, the students have a, have. A, I know we can talk about the ASTI's decision, but I, I think the students have played a massive role uh, as well in, in having this uh, overturned. You know, and the six year students themselves because. They put up a huge opposition to the move themselves. Um, so they'd be commended for that. Um, well, prefer the online learning. Like his teachers did a great job the last time, you know, and he didn't mind going back to online. Well, yeah, personally myself, I did find online school a lot easier because um, to get in to get in and out of school is kind of a, an odyssey. It does take quite a long time. And uh, mm. so to be able to just kind of wake up at essentially eight o'clock or essentially 20 to nine, and immediately start school was very nice and i'd be off at exactly like quarter to four yeah so personally for myself i didn't find it affected my learning um really at all um but i do know of a student who um 
doesn't really like the idea of uh, not going into school. He, he enjoyed the social aspect and uh, it's a lot easier for him to do everything in person. Yeah, I think I think there's there's a lot of pros and cons to both. There's there's students without broadband, uh, you know, um, who can't access Zoom or can't access some of these facilities. And there's obviously the socioeconomic element as well, where where some of the students mightn't have, uh, you know, they might have brothers, sisters, parents, and there's only one device in the house, if any. Uh, so there is that as well, and and that has to be sorted, you know, definitely. Um, um, as well but then of course there is students like yourself who prefer these so the, the, the point I'm trying to make is there's pros and cons to all of these decisions that are made you know regardless you know and we're going to get to some of that in a second about where to from now you know um, but just on the decision itself I suppose um, I suppose talking from a union point of view um, the ASTI's decision um, just I suppose it broke at the six o'clock news there that they were going to uh, tell their members to um to not go in on Monday. Um, how did we all feel about that? I think everyone was relieved. I know my management who beat TUI were relieved at the ASTI decision mm. because I think that's what they were hoping for. Mm. And I think, you know, looking at on the internet or on social media, I suppose, the TUI, they themselves were going to make the same decision. Um, you know their meeting was just planned a bit later, so they were going to come on. But the, the ACI definitely, I know they, I know they brought their meeting forward because they um, they had met the department and nothing was coming back. Um, you know, no no guarantee of safety. So they just said, look, we have to act very very quickly here because we can't be sending people to schools on the Monday, and we have to give some sense of relief because teachers were really stressed about this and didn't want to leave it much too much mm-hmm. longer. So they brought the meeting as close as they could uh, to the, that meeting ending with the department, you know, uh, and then the, made the decision. The decision, look, I, I don't disclose what happens in standing committee meetings, nor should anybody, um, so I won't be giving details of the meeting itself. But just to say that it, it is, um, it was very, very quick. It's probably one of the quickest decisions, uh, a big decision, uh, quickest big decision that was ever made uh, at standing committee normally standing committee you know the, the, there's uh, for people who don't know because I, I see a lot of social media and people say you know the, the, the leadership why are they doing this why are they doing that but for people who don't know the, the, the leadership unit who makes decisions is about 23 to 23 or 24 people on on that committee and they sit around and they debate for sometimes up to hours before a decision is made because because there is people with different views on that committee. Some want to do take industrial action, some don't want to take industrial action, some want to take industrial action but leave it a bit longer. And these debates all play out. So all these decisions are very uh, democratic decisions. And sometimes they take a long time, a lot of arguing, a lot of to and fro, a lot of people changing position before consensus or before an agreement is reached. But this time, it, it was the quickest decision I've ever seen. Uh, and purely because I would imagine the amount of email, the amount of text, the amount of anger, mm. not directed at the union, but directed at, at the, the minister and, and the Department of Education for their decision, that it, it was a very uh, easy decision, I suppose, um, for the standing. Can I just say the anger that I was on CC before, I'm not on it anymore, but I would have colleagues that would contact me for for any updates etc and i know there's a lot of frustration and they were they were angry at the at the department of the minister but they were kind of saying what is the union doing why aren't they more you know forceful and i thought the union did i was saying to them i thought the union did great i thought the leadership did very well you know they talked about the safety and it was all about the safety i thought that 
and was brilliant on uh, all the all the media she was on, and I think they did great. I'm delighted that they they came out with that announcement, and it seems to have forced the government's decision. And the same people came back to me after that saying. That was great. They were delighted with the with what the ASCI did. So fair play to them. Yeah, no, I, I thought myself, I thought they were very good uh, in the media. I thought they represented us quite well. I know there was a bit of panic <laughs> setting in with people um, in terms of, um, you know, uh, why aren't they taking action? Why are, you know, in the media? And th- but look, this kind of thing happens. And I suppose if you are, if you are in the position that they're in, you have to be patient and you have to think, consider stuff. And they probably know in the back of their mind what their plan is anyway. Um, but, you know, the, but, but I, I have to say one thing, though, uh, and I, I couldn't leave this podcast go without saying it, that the reason that the ACI was able to make that decision, um, and it was made clear as well at the, the, the meeting, the, the reason the ACI was able to make that decision was because it had balloted in October um, uh, you know, for eventualities like this, um, and that's why it was able to direct members. Because if we didn't have, if we hadn't balloted, if legalities would have came into play, and you wouldn't have been able to tell members not to go in on Monday. But we were able to tell members not to go in on Monday because the ballots had previously uh, been made in October. And I, I know I'm not having a go with anybody. Genuinely, I'm not. But but sometimes you see people give out about decisions that the unions are making and why are they doing this and, and why are they making decisions now? Why are they balloting? This is back in October. Why are they balloting in the middle of a pandemic, blah, 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 et cetera. And the reason is for exactly like what happened yesterday uh, to cover, I suppose, for want of a better word, to cover our ass in case we need it, in case something happens, in case cases go high, in case they try and make us go in. But I suppose it's hard to get that message across to members, I suppose, at the time in October. But uh, but look, it, it was there and, and the ACI was able to use it. Um, and that's how they were able to direct uh, members uh, not to go in on the Monday, you know. And very quickly later then, I suppose the minister uh, changed her mind. Chris, just you want to, to jump in there, yeah? Yeah, just, just want to jump in and just kind of say, the field on the ground and from what, you know, from people locally, uh, who were in contact with me was that like one of immense relief you know they didn't mm. want to be in there um you know I, I think locally where I'm based in in Carlo we kind of got off lucky enough in terms of in terms of how COVID was felt in locality uh, in the first wave or the first the, I suppose the first school wave in, in, in September to October you know cases were very low but over the last say three or four weeks it's really really got serious locally and the effects have really became serious people and that was the overwhelming feeling is that like you know people were coming back to me saying you know I felt safe before but now my xyz has got uh, has got COVID and I'm, I'm feeling really scared of it and it would have been my xyz who was healthy before it was my it was it the feelings were much much more serious this time for people the feelings were much more serious for teachers and then they were looking at the case numbers and they were looking at the minister who was asking to go to school and it was like is this woman actually serious and you know the overwhelming feeling from the people who were in contact with me was of one of immense relief and one of immense gratitude uh, to standing committee for making that decision and it was really really good to hear that that decision was made quickly um and you know it you know it, it was one of those days where people who put the time in and put the work in on, on union side of things were really really you know 
really, really appreciative of, of that. You mm-hmm. know, really, really appreciative of, of leadership who were who made the right decision. And uh, and it was it's certainly been, in my opinion, appreciated by the membership, but it's also been appreciated by the general public as well. And I think that has to be stated in terms of, you know, not every not all the time when you're in a union do you have to kind of say the public are behind you. When you're, in a, when you're in a union, it's not your job to appease the public. It's not your job to have the public on side. But it is nice at the same time to have the public behind you in matters like this. Mm. And, uh, you know, just it's, it's really good that that, that that did happen. Yeah. Yeah. Just gonna put, maybe just come in there. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with everything that's been said there. Um I think even we should go back to um, go back to was it April or May? Remember when they were talking about the decision to bring people in in July? And if I if I think of to bring teachers in and students in in July for two or three weeks, whatever they were saying, a minimum of two weeks, and they had said that there was consultations with the unions, but all they did is invite the unions in to tell them what they were intending to do and kind of dare us to oppose that plan. And we highlighted at the time, we were saying, look, if this is the modus operandi of the government at this point, right, then what, that's the real worry. You know, it wasn't, you could ultimately swallow having to go in two or three weeks in July or whatever from, from a, uh, from a teaching point of view, or whatever. And at that time, we didn't know what way it was going to work out, mm-hmm. and obviously that changed. But the fact was, the way they made the decision, bouncing people into the decision to such an extent that 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 actual term, bouncing people into it, became. I think it was John McHugh was actually saying, "Oh, we didn't try and bounce the unions into a decision, but they did, because what they did was they went on the TV and announced what was going to happen, having only." told the general secretary and the president to think at the time that this was this that this was uh, facing us and so I, I call this a kind of a media coup where you go on and you say on the media what you want to happen and then it's very difficult for anybody to deny it or challenge it or whatever right and that's been the pattern all the way along the decisions that they've made all the way along have been that's the way they've operated go out, make your decision, and then and even claim that the unions are on board or that they've been insulted or whatever. I mean, this this has happened multiple times. And what I like about what's happened now is people have said, hang on, no, we're not going to keep going on with this. Like, you know, <laughs> there's an element of you've been doing this all along and now, no, 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 you've gone too far. And people have said, hang on, no. No, yeah. that's enough. That's the other Indeed. thing, about Mark, about the play on words that we were talking about earlier in terms of <clears throat> the press release. But I noticed as well, go back exactly what you're saying when you go back to May, like you would have even people within the union uh, on social media saying, well, how could the union agree to this? How are they agreeing to this? Because the government side and department are saying there was consensus. Now, we said it in the last few podcasts, consensus these days seem to mean they invite you into a room, you tell them their opinion, they head off. And then they just drop whatever they're going to drop in the media, in public, without taking on board any of the things that the unions or any anybody, the principals or anybody have said. I know principals mm-hmm. are up in arms as well about this new seems to be policy with the department. Uh, and so, you know, but I think they've exposed themselves now because it's all over the headlines um, that they did not consult the unions on this. They didn't come to the unions. They didn't go to any partners. 
that yes, they were sitting in a room together and I'm sure the unions expressed their view, but it just wasn't listened to. Uh, and they came out with this, bringing the leave inserts in uh, out of the blue without telling anybody, without uh, discussing it with, with any of the unions, you know. it's But well, look, now hopefully it's exposed and people know going forward that this is the kind of tactics or the games that they're playing. And they keep saying mm-hmm. consensus as if they're discussing. They're not, you know. Um, other, yeah, exactly. And the other, the other thing I wanted to mention was the kind of... Um, this, uh, I was trying to think of a word for it. I think the word is hubris of the Department of Education and the government itself in in you know in patting themselves on the back with how well the the school opening was going and that they were so mm. concerned about education and whatever. When like the reality was the money that they announced for for the return to school was only the equivalent of the annual increase in the education budget. Anyway, yeah. Re- relatively minimal amount, right? They refused any sort of consideration of trying to ensure two meters, any sort of consideration of using other buildings. They wouldn't fund um, laptops for students uh, just in case uh, we had to go online. And it, it seems now that all of their refusal, their hubris, the, the idea that they thought we'd never have to go into this situation again, has led them not to prepare because if you're if you're mm. convinced that schools are going to stay safe and you're never going to have to close them, why would you prepare for the alternative? Mm. Uh, and I think that's been totally exposed, and it's kind of it's becoming sort of common knowledge now uh, that not only have they not prepared in in the health service and the testing and all that we saw during the summer, now it's clear that they haven't prepared for education, and it, it's almost as if they. There was a bit of a lie going on about the whole success in inverted commas of, of education. Okay, yeah, we were able to stay in classrooms mm. for for four months, and I, I, most people welcome that. So, you know, I liked going actually into the classroom rather than staying online, and I'd still prefer to be in the classroom than online. But there, there's an element. There was as as we went back to school, we saw the case numbers going up, and even if it's not inside school, it's in the wider community. And after the second lockdown. They, they were able to get cases down to about, what was it, about 250 a day. But they seemed to reach a floor. And I think the floor was that yeah. if you still have schools open, you're not going to get below the floor of about 250 yeah. cases a day. Yeah. And, and, and therefore, you, you, you know, and then when you opened up again, then started December with cases at that level. And they didn't, they ignored the advice and effort or parts of the advice and effort again. And of course, you have this, I mean, the, 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 this, the, the graphs that people have seen, like we've almost, I think we've surpassed the United States and Britain, which have been, and even now Northern Ireland, I remember looking at the figures going, Jesus, it's a massacre in Northern Ireland. Actually, now we're actually far worse. And it's incredible. Mm. And it's, it's all down to this idea that they keep saying, they keep believing that they can kind of negotiate with the virus and whatever and, and say, oh, well, we, you know, there'll be a reward for good behaviour. But there is no reward for good behaviour because, you know, the virus, as soon as you open up again, it, 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 it's back. And, you know, this time, you know, it's it's back with a vengeance. And, and, and uh, obviously, and then they were going on the media saying how serious it was. And then they turn around and say, oh, well, even though it's serious, we still think that we can put it in the six years. It just didn't yeah. add up. And yeah. I think people were just, so I think just to echo that point again, it's the... I think the ASTI, knowing the way the Department of Education tends to behave, and it's it tends to be sort of very absolutist, and we were criticising, even the ITO was criticising the absolutist approach of the Department of Education. Given that they had that attitude, I think 
that's why the ASTI decided to ballot back in September, October, because we suspected, we didn't know for sure, but we suspected that there might be there might need to become a time when we would need we would need to say, hang on a second, we can't we can't do this. Yeah, they couldn't and, be uh, trusted. They couldn't be trusted. So yeah, exactly. Couldn't be trusted. That's what I'm getting at. That mm. really you couldn't trust the Department of Education not to do something like this at some stage, and therefore the union had to have a mandate in its back pocket yeah. uh, too. And I think I think that that the the events have totally borne that out. Have totally vindicated that position. And I, I was just looking at Carl O'Brien's uh, Irish Times uh, review or preview of the year, whatever it was, and he. He was criticising the ASDI for, quote, multiple balloting that, that never has any effect or whatever. Yeah. And I feel like ringing Carl right up and saying, uh, Carl, you might just want to look at the circumstances of, uh, or, you know, that, that phrase that yeah. that didn't age well, <laughs> you know, his yeah. comment didn't age well because within a couple of days, yeah. the, 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 the utility and the, 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 the importance of balloting just came suddenly to light and of course he's been very quiet now because it's you can't just attack the asdi on it because the whole education sector is against is it was against the government move and yeah. i think it's i think it's good for unions as well because one of the things that has been i won't go on about too much more but the, one of the things that's been lacking in the crisis is that um unions have been afraid to speak out against things that are being done and there's been this kind of overriding thing that we need to put on the green jersey and so on, this this kind of mythical green jersey. And in other words, that translates into you can't raise up and you can't raise any objections, no matter how insane the proposals are. But I think at least that's been exposed now that that actually you have to raise concerns. And when you raise the concerns, people will understand if you, if you can put them out in, in, in a way that's uh, yeah. that, that's clear. Evelyn, you've been waiting to come in here for a while. The, the, the mistake well, you made, the mistake you made there, is coming in after Mark Walsh because he's going to eat up half the time in the podcast. <laughs> on, no, I was say, anxiety among the staff I work with because I'm the rep in my school is they were getting on to me. First of all, bringing teachers in for the three days a week, so a lot of the teachers would have young children at home. So who's going to look after their kids? It was the logistics. How are they going to run their other classes? So they don't just teach sixth years. And there was a huge problem around that. Some of the teachers are high risk, but they're not high enough risk to stay at home, according to mm. the government. So, yeah, there was huge anxiety around staff. And then also because we have an ASD class, some of the teachers would teach down there. So how is that going to work out on timetabling where you're going in for a small number of students who would normally be mainstreamed? How are you teaching your mainstream class or at home plus your ASD class students as well? Mm. So the anxiety levels were very high. So I think there was a huge amount of relief as well with the decision because of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look at my, I know my own, I said this in the past podcast, but my own wife is is very high risk and she's actually working from home at the moment. So uh, now uh, the, I, I wouldn't have had to go in because I, I teach PE and we don't have leave insert PE, but a part of me was very relieved that I wouldn't have to go in because God knows what you could bring home, uh, you know, from the school and it could have serious consequences in this house. And I'm sure others who I know that sense of relief because I didn't have to go in, but I'm sure others were very stressed because they did have six years and they would have had to go in, you know, and they're in the same situation. And so Derek, you wanted to come in there. Yeah, two things I'd like to say. I know earlier on, Andrew, you did mention, you know, to discuss the pros and the cons, and we, we all see in United that uh, it was the right decision. Uh, but there definitely are uh, cons to this as well. Of course, work, there are. My, yeah. my wife's a teacher as well, and 
I work, we work in diametrically opposite ends of the spectrum. I work in a disadvantaged school and she works in a fee-paying school. Mm. And I saw during the last lockdown that, to be honest, it, it worked for, for her school uh, and it did not work for our school. And the gap, yeah. there's no doubt whatsoever in my mind that the gap between the, the, these two ends of the spectrum has widened, uh, has broadened significantly due to these lockdowns, and it will again, unfortunately. Yeah. I know there's probably a, there's probably a whole podcast in that itself. It is, I still it, think and it was we, the right we do decision. we do plan on talking about uh, how education serves different socioeconomic backgrounds. It's definitely in, in the in the in the tube for this podcast, you know. But absolutely, and I agree with your points. Absolutely, agree with your point, Derek. Yeah, I still think it was right though to not to go in. Having said all that, one other thing I want to say, which appears a little bit off off topic, but it it came up a few people contacted me about the JMB, the Joint Managerial Board. Uh, and despite the fact that, unlike the departments, uh, the JMB had the benefit of of witnessing the reaction, the adverse reaction to the decision to bring us back in uh, by students, parents, teachers, managers, uh, health experts, opposition parties, all thought this is the wrong decision. They had the benefit of seeing our reaction and yet still thought it was a good idea for us to go back into school. And I have colleagues that the Joint Managerial Board, for anybody who doesn't know, is, a, is, a, is an advisory board to schools, but they, they hold a lot of power, it seems to me, you know. And I know that there were principals that were deeply unhappy with this. And I think it, I have a colleague who actually wrote a letter to the JMB asking them to reflect on whether they think they are fit for purpose in terms of their strong advisory roles to school that they would suggest such a thing, having seen the, the reaction, you know, I just want to make that point if that's okay. Yeah, I've seen that, I've seen, I've seen that a few times, uh, Derek, but I, I never, I don't know if, it, I, I don't know if it's been verified, I haven't seen it been verified, because it's that, like, I, I don't know if they did come to that conclusion, but uh, you, you, you've heard they have come to that conclusion, is it? I haven't seen it on there, you, I haven't seen it directly from them, I've heard it anecdotally, but yeah. anecdotally from, from, um, from principals. Yeah, so we'll we we'll give him a we we'll give him a pass on this one until we find out if okay. it's uh, if it's uh, if it's definite. Um, but I did hear that myself. But uh, I think um, I don't know. I, well, to be honest, I didn't check their website either, so um, I, I I don't know. I've just been Members too busy. Only. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um. So look, look. Uh, I want to move this on, um, because I feel the other podcast went on a bit long. Uh, so I want to want to move this on a bit. Um, and look, we've already kind of touched on it about remote learning, and no, it's not ideal. We all know that. Um, for a lot of the reasons that we mentioned already. Um, but look, safety had to come first. Uh, but I, I will say that the ASCI and I'm sure the other unions have a, a similar uh, um, position. We were asking. Um, you know, one of the things we balloted on back in October is that students in schools be provided with laptops, you know, and something has to be done as well about broad. Like this should have all been worked out in advance. Like how did they, it's like Mark, probably what you were just saying, they did just assume that this was just going to sail through the year. You know, uh, that's what it seems to be now. There doesn't seem to be a plan B, you know, and it's not ideal. And Chris, you want to jump in there, I see you. Well, like, over the last, like, say, week or so, we've really highlighted a huge amount of government failures, specifically in the education sector, in terms of, like, unions and unions especially were pushing for an alternative plan. Well, okay, well, what happens if we have to go and, and shut down again? For sure, but, like, we haven't, as a country, even talked about, like, well, what happens if we have to go into a lockdown again? Hmm. You know, and I know we're focusing specifically on an education standpoint, for sure, but this is wider, wider ramifications outside of education. Unfortunately for the government, 
they're feeling that the, the yardstick that their measurement is, is will it even circle ahead? They're wondering if one yard if one yardstick is is whether schools will close. Well, they've they've certainly failed on that one for sure. They have huge, huge questions that the they have huge, huge questions to answer from the electorate. Mm-hmm. They have huge, huge questions to answer with regards to how they have managed this pandemic for sure since March, but certainly from September onwards. Um you know, we were looking when we went back in September, we had a caseload of 100 a day, which seems absolutely minuscule compared to where we are now. You know, we're talking mm-hmm. about less than 1% and uh, not less than 1%, less than 2% for sure. We have huge, huge, huge questions uh, for the government and they need to be answered. Mm-hmm. And they have failed. Everybody who depends on the government they failed on the front of education. They failed on the front of health. They failed so, so much. They've also failed the business people in the long term in terms of repeated lockdowns are doing nobody any favor whatsoever. And they refuse to bite the bullet on terms of dealing with this virus once and for all. Hmm. Yeah, I, I know I know exactly where you're going. You're going down the, the zero COVID route and I 100% agree that, that that is the route. In my personal view, uh, that that's the go- the view that the government should have taken, and it's still the route that they should take. Um, I know vaccines are coming, but at the rate of rollout, uh, I I don't know whether I, I'm not a scientist, so I'm not even going to bother commenting on that. But I I just know that you know the zero COVID to me is is like I just look at New Zealand. I I, I like rugby uh, for my sins, and like I'm watching some of their New Zealand rugby matches, and the crowds are full in the stadium, and you know they're they're going about their normal life. Schools are open, um, and uh, I, I know all about it. I, I hate to be the person, but my girlfriend is from Taiwan, where literally like they've had to deal with two or three waves of COVID. The first wave was from people coming back from China. The second wave was people coming back from Europe. They've dealt with it time in, time out because of 14 day quarantines. We're in a situation now where we have the UK variant is circulating, the South African variant as of today is circulating because of we don't have a 14-day quarantine. Government decisions on a on a macro level, the huge decisions that they're making on a day in and day out basis, have affected the education of our children, and on a small basis, our education has to fight for what's safe for our members. But the big decisions that governments are making are failing everybody whether that is the people who are in the shop, it's the people who are in teaching the children, it's the children who need to be educated, the gym owners, the bar owners, they're affecting everybody. Mm. For what? Genuinely for what? Everybody mm. could be moving on if that decision was made. But it hasn't because they're just, they're focusing on this repeated hoping for a vaccine. And from a scientific point of view, they got incredibly lucky that a vaccine has come along. Incredibly lucky that multiple vaccines have come along. Because yeah. we have seen a situation where there's no vaccine for the common cold, there's no vaccine for AIDS. Luckily enough, this is a virus where we can deal with it with a vaccine. But if they hadn't done that, hmm. if, if, if the scientists hadn't been on the ball and if the virus was of that particular nature, our government would have completely failed us. Yeah, we would have been in a huge, huge situation to deal with a year down the road, and um, 
you know, we are incredibly lucky that the vaccine is coming for us. Thank, you know, thank everything. But yeah. Let, I agree. I agree. Um, but let, well, let's, I suppose let, let's take the, it back. Let's take it back to teaching, I suppose. Um, <laughs> and so we're we're um, we're in we're in remote learning, uh, and we're all hearing the stories. Uh, some schools uh, are being told to uh, virtual timetable, stick to their timetable, and Zoom for every single class. Uh, some schools are being told that it's up to the the teachers themselves, which of course that's the position I would take. Um, uh, for me. Virtual learning as a PE teacher, number one, it, I hate it because uh, a virtual timetable, rather, where you're on for every single class on Zoom because you have students sitting in front of a Zoom or in front of a computer screen for six hours a day or five hours a day or whatever it is. It's it's insanity. Uh, it also, we just spoke about people who have no broadband, people have no access to laptops, to, to computers. Um, it, it doesn't work for them. Um, sometimes they're dad their mom might be on the computer for work and they can't be on the computer at the same time or or you know so they might have to catch up with schoolwork in the evening time uh, they could even be minding their younger siblings um you know um so this whole for me the virtual one doesn't work so i think if it's left up to the teacher who knows the students the best and i, I have no doubt the teachers in the country are going to do their best for their students in this remote learning is bad a situation as it is i'm sure the teachers are well capable of delivering uh, education to the students who they know best um, and I think I, I think I know a lot of schools have done this in fairness to them um, that they're leaving it up to the teachers to decide they may have to use the same platforms they may have to use Microsoft they may have to use Zoom but uh, but they're leaving it up to the teachers whether they pre-record classes whether they leave work for some classes and correct and, and, and so on so but I think every teacher really knows uh, their students best um I, I don't know if any of you have any comments on that um i know the asdi i think has a position um on it that's they, they don't agree with the virtual timetable and um i i think that's the case i know mark and you might know <laughs> more than me there is a um the asdi did pass a motion on um uh, being against the imposition of a virtual timetable so it's not some it's not totally against you know any aspect of a virtual timetable but and of course because because some teachers might prefer that way yeah. of teaching you know yeah but that it would be imposed on people and i, I think the the point is very important uh, and, and chris talking about the wider situation as well the wider crisis means that people have other responsibilities may have other responsibilities as well which may be childcare. and mention has been made of the fact that uh, teachers will have their own children at home even teachers who don't have their own children may have to help out family members with childcare and so on. There might be need for teachers to prepare work in the evening to be ready for the following day. They may not be able to stick to a virtual timetable during the day purely for family reasons and whatever. And you would think that in given that it's such a massive national crisis that what needs to happen now really is they they need to give some flexibility but also it, it just goes back to the lack of planning and preparation what they were planning for was for for individual schools to be closed or for individual classes to be told to stay at home the guidance documents that the department of education was preparing and the one dropped just before christmas there i think on the 18th of december they were taught they were for scenarios where um uh, where things might just where it might only be partial closures and so on. It, I don't think it was envisaged that there would be full closures. And 
we're back in that situation now. And because there was no real planning for full closures again, you've all the various different bodies, you know, DTBs, the Department of Education, the um, joint managerial body, various different people now kind of saying, oh, we need to do this, we need to do that and whatever. And the expectations are coming on teachers now to, 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 to do more than we did in the previous lockdown, even though the situation is probably worse and, and, and bound to get a lot worse than the previous one. And, you know, I don't know, I think what they need to do now is to say, if it took, if it took, what, what was it, six weeks to get the cases, case numbers down from 1,500 to 250, right, that, the second lockdown, if it took that long to get the cases down, how long is it going to take to get the cases down from 8,000, you know? <laughs> like, like, are they, what, what sort of, how deep is the crisis we're facing now? And what is their plan? I think they're going to have to pretty, and I think the, a lot of the opposition parties seem to be calling for this, is that they would make an early decision on the um, on the Leaving Cert, what's going to happen with the Leaving Cert, because it would help to to guide teachers in what we're supposed to be doing now. Again, we're in a sort of a headless chicken scenario, really, where we don't know what we're actually preparing for. You know, the projects which have just begun in many cases, you know, the mock exams, the whole, there's a whole series of things that are so up in the air now that we really don't know where we're going. And obviously teachers will go back to their classes on Monday and do what we can. Well, that is, that, that is, the uncertainty that is, is just incredible. Yeah, that's precisely where I want to take the conversation next is uh, what happens now with the Leaving Cert. But Derek, you've been trying to get in there for a while. So do you want to jump in there before? Well, no, sorry. Or? Dr. Karen just put me hand up by accident. I was trying to do a chat. Right. <laughs> no problem. Sorry, right? Yeah, so no, look, again, uh, yeah, so th- I suppose we move into the last segment uh, of this uh, podcast, and that's like, I saw the demands from the students, and I agree with every one of them, uh, bar-, bar their first one, um, you know, and we're not always going to agree on everything, nobody uh, agrees uh, on everything, uh, but the first one is is for predicted, predicted grades, um, uh, and look, I have my own thoughts on it, but I'll leave others come in there quickly if they want to, um, just on it. Um, and we can talk about, you know, predicted grades, not predicted grades. What, what should we do um, uh, from here? Because it's quite clear that there is going to be a serious level of disruption. Um, obviously, you know, uh, we, are, we are teaching, we are working, but, um, you know, for some, it's not the same and there is disruption. Obviously, we can't pretend that there's not. So, um opinions on on, on where, where we go well it's it's in my opinion it's it's really always hard for me and i it's really always hard when a student comes to me looking for predicted grades because like all the time throughout the whole system it seems like you're working with the student against the system and it you know it happens a good bit where students will come to you for predicted grades for when they're when they're applying for ucas and oh, you know, it, it kind of does, in a, in a small way, it kind of breaks down that barrier between you and the student because you all the time are hoping for them to get the best grade possible, but then you have to kind of cast a judgment there and then about the student there, and, and, and I really don't like it. I've had to do it, anecdotally, I've had to do it more this year than in other years, uh, and I don't know whether that student's just being more conscious of the situation and maybe considering their options more, or maybe having more time to reflect on what they should be doing over, over, over lockdown one, I suppose. But it's hard to give those predicted grades this year more so than any other year. We haven't had a 
good year of fifth year behind us. We haven't had a good year of learning even this year behind us, I suppose. Mm-hmm. We haven't had, uh, we, we, we haven't had summer exams. Uh, I know some, some, some schools may not have had proper Christmas exams because it would have been waiting for mocks. Um, we haven't even had mocks this year. And whether mocks will happen or not this year is, 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 is up for discussion. And certainly the integrity of mocks will be up for discussion as well. We have a huge call to make here, not as a profession, but I think it, it might be above our heads in terms of what has to be done. And mm. we've, seen, we've seen other, other countries make this call right now. Um, it's, it's a huge, huge question that has to be answered. And if I was to get predicted grades, it's very, very tough for those that it's very, very tough for me to kind of say that they are good, honest grades. You know, it certainly less so than last year. Yeah, I know what, what you're saying is correct. Um, you know, in terms of there's last year, there was a lot less grades. Uh, there was a lot, sorry, there was a lot more grades on the school system to go mm. from. And I think a key point for me there as well is that those grades were on the system when the teacher did not know what they were going to be used for. It was only at the last minute they were told that you use these grades now to predict. Whereas now there's still exams to come. So teachers now would be setting tests, setting results, knowing what those results are going to be used for, which is the point CEO system. Uh, and that changes the ball game, you know. Uh, and I heard a lot of teachers as well saying that um, the, teaching online and even, even back in the school, uh, when we're back in school, it's not the same, you know, they're behind the desk. It's more like lecturing kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to get a sense, you know, uh, I suppose so it is a lot more difficult. Evelyn, you wanted to come in there. Yeah. Just as a parent of a leaving cert, I'd prefer to see him sit the leaving cert rather than predict the grades because like Chris was saying the very same points, they weren't in school since March. I know with Kiernan school and, and the, my school, they haven't done exams since Christmas, 2019. You know, so mm. I don't know what teachers would go off to predict those grades. I don't think they'd know the students well enough either. Um, some students have been off like that because they've been out of school because they're close contacts, that kind of thing. So they've missed two weeks, maybe because of other reasons, you know. So as that's a, that's as a parent, I suppose. And, 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 and some parents from reading social media feel the opposite you know they feel like they have to do predicted grades etc and so on but you you also have the advantage of being as a teacher so as a teacher then um what would you adapt to leave insert or would it just be the leave insert as normal oh, or, or what 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 and i were discussing that adapt the leaving cert so that it takes into consideration so change the papers so it takes into consideration the amount of schooling these students have missed mm-hmm. and like we said they're in different situation now they're you know, they're with masks sitting behind a desk and it's mainly didactic teaching, you know, their teachers are talking and they're just sitting there kind of, and I know when I go into a class, it's quite strange because all you see is these eyes looking at you. You don't even know if the kids understand what you're talking about sometimes, mm. you know. looks. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Yeah. Can I jump in there for a second? I was, I was making a car journey yesterday and uh, I was listening What's to- a cartoon? Car journey. Car oh, journey. Right, sorry, sorry. sorry. And it was listening to, you know, it was the schools at the time. It was it was lunchtime on on, on Thursday afternoon, and Leo Vracker was on the 
on, on lunchtime, whatever it is with Radio, with radio 1. And we talk about the importance of getting students in and the importance of getting students in to do lab work and the importance of getting students in to do practical work. I was wondering what planet Leo was on in terms of like, it's very hard to get students in to do lab work from September to December. It's very hard to, to kind of ensure that that's safe. And it's also very hard for me to continue to do lab work for six year students when there's 8,000 cases of COVID a day. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's a wider question, I suppose, in terms of like the normal leaving cert and what they expect the normal leaving cert to be. But you genuinely couldn't expect people to go in to do the leaving cert. I, I, know, I know we're talking about the wider question of what the leaving cert should be final. But if they wanted to open schools just so that people could do lab work, I'm wondering are the government's on another planet? Mm. There is, yeah. No, I seen. Look, I have seen calls. Uh, I suppose um, an idea is floated, like that there would be a lot more choice in the exam paper. Mm. So you're not cutting sections out because if you cut sections out of the exam paper, somebody might have spent a month doing that section, and now it's no good to them. You know, so there the, the should be choice because various teachers might have covered different topics, and it would give the students more of an advantage. I've heard just to relate to what you were saying there, uh, Christopher. I've heard calls for that kind of section of, of it to be abandoned, you know, not to be doing the or not to be doing these practical things and just, just to go with the exam and, and so on. But then of course, the whole question is, is it going to be safe to even do the exam? When, you know, are we going to be in another lockdown then? Is it going to be another peak is, you know, uh, so these questions are there and I suppose no, nobody has indicated to come in. So it's just my take. And I suppose I'm trying to give people my take on the, the predicted grading and, People think it's a straightforward. Why can't you just do this? You know, you done it last year. Just do it again. And it's because we did it last year is the problem for me. Um, because this is very quickly or can very quickly become the norm. And it can become the norm. And you could see the turmoil in your face, Christopher. The listeners can't see. But I can see the turmoil in your face when you were talking about having to grade the students and having to, it puts you in a totally different position or it, it's essentially a different job. It's a, di- a teaching is a different job if that's your role uh, and it changes the job for me. Um, but my problem is that if we done it last year and yes, we did, um, there was opposition to it last year, but it went ahead and we did it. But to do it a second year, now it's starting to become the norm and I don't trust the government enough. If I read the government's plan for the plan for government, it says that they want to hold on to some of the positive changes that were achieved through COVID. You know, now is this predicted grading? Is it to become the norm in future? So yes, we care about our students. Yes, we care about the six years. You know, I hate when people say that because we became teachers. <laughs> There's a reason we became teachers because we wanted to help young people. That's the reason a lot of people become teachers in the first place. But Yes, when we do something, oh, what about this student? What about that? Well, of course we know about this student. We work with them every day, you know. Um, so, of course, we care about them. But we also care about our first years who are in school at the moment. We also care about our second years. And if we go down the predicted grading route, then it's changing the entire education system, uh, you know, into the future. And that, to me, is a huge, huge danger. So when I say I would like to see the traditional exam held onto, I'm not being old fashioned. I'm not, I actually believe that we should change the whole system. I don't think believe we should have a CEO system. I think it should be a, um, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? A common entry where everybody can get into college, into first year, they do tasters and then they move on like it is in a lot of other countries. Um, 
But we, the fact is we are in this system. We are in the CAO system. We are in this high stakes exam system. So that is the reason that it's important that a, an exam that is externally set, externally assessed uh, is so important. Uh, I actually believe they should just open the college and leave you in. That's probably not possible uh, given college places, but surely they could have done something before now last year given the fiasco that went on last year could they have made extra places could they have changed something could you know um but uh, you know it, it, that's the, the that's the issue with me uh for for predicted predicted grading you know? yeah christopher go on. well like for want of a better term it really is highlighting some of the flaws that do exist with the leaving cert compared to say other international exams in terms of like it is a terminal exam where everything does depend on that very one day and there's no checkpoints throughout the system. For once a better term, you know, governments and the OECD have been highlighting the flaws with this, which is fine. But this could be changed as long as there was money put behind it. You know, yeah. one of the huge, huge advantages of the system that we have in a normal non-pandemic time is that is it is that it is incredibly fair. Um, to a certain extent, and we won't get into the, the neoliberal side of it, but you could say that every student does have a fair chance to, to get 625 points. That does change depending on, does change on, on depending on what students, what, what teachers are, are asked to, to, to judge on you, to judge you on. Yeah. So, it, it does really highlight one of those flaws in terms of like, it's a huge terminal exam. We don't have any massive checkpoints along the way. And especially for this year in 2021, there's been no standardized checkpoints along the way. There's been no, like, what are the standardized checkpoints going along the way here? We have Christmas 2019 and that's it. Maybe like some schools have Christmas 2020 what schools could what what genuinely what schools could stand behind their summer twenty twenty results? Yeah, not a not a huge amount. So we have huge questions to ask about the leaving certs. We've also huge questions to ask about the funding that's put behind it. And if in the long term government does want to change this from a one day exam where everything is checked to a more continuous exam, they need to put that money behind it. They didn't put the money behind the junior certs. They have to put the money behind. A serious exam like the yeah. dancers. I see you waiting to come in here. Um, you're probably going to come in now and kick all our asses, are you? <laughs> well, um, just to say about the, how they, they did actually do some changes to the, the Living Cert course. Um, I don't remember all of them because uh, we were briefed about it back in September. Uh, one that did particularly stick to mind was um, uh, how they changed the maths course, which is that they removed, they're not examining as many topics. Okay. And I know the uh, Irish Maths Teachers Association was very... Um, up in arms about that, but um, as far as I'm aware, the government hasn't changed anything with that so far. And uh, what was I going to say? Um, oh, uh, yeah. With the, um, I mean, I've been gearing up for six years for a end of day exam. <clears throat> I completely get for that. It's very easy for me to go into an exam and do the best I can. But trying to keep my, you know, trying to keep up my that standard and motivate myself for the entire year especially with no like Christmas exam or potentially even mocks for me at this point. Um, I just see it as a bit, I don't know, pointless. pointless. Yeah. 
it, you know, I mean, to, to me, and, and I see the problems, I, I genuinely see, you know, where students are coming from. And, and the, I suppose the impression is that the teachers now, because we've taken this action and we're not going back, you know, into schools, this big bad action that we want to, and, and because we kind of are, are welded to the idea of the traditional exam, um, it doesn't mean we don't see the point. I understand exactly. And I've talked to a lot of students who, who've called for predicted grading. And, and again, you know, it's not so much, it's not the predicted grading to me. That's the issue. It's, it's the, the, the wider um, system. Um, and they're asking us to be part of that uh, system that I, that I don't think we should be, you know? Um, and, so yes, the traditional exam, but not in an old-fashioned sense that oh, we want to stick to the old way of doing things and the traditional exam. That's that's not what this is about, you know. Um, traditional exam is, has been externally assessed. It's it's externally set, um, <clears throat> and if you bring in the predicted grading with a high-stake system, it does not work. And I think anybody with a brain can see that you can't have a high-stake system. And then have predicted testing down to teachers and 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 the relationship between teachers and students results. Oh yes, sorry, we're all professionals, um, but of course pressure does come on from management. Pressure comes on from the wider community, society, um, and you, you just can't have that. So if you want teachers assessing their own students, then you need to remove the high stakes uh, element of it, you know, and have even, a, an open access, you know. Even are assessing their own students they're forced to pick which students to give an a and give a b and give a c even if the students that they had to give a b to they thought would have gotten an a or an h1 or an h2 now mm. uh, if that makes sense which I, th I think that's also completely unfair like uh, i think it was the goethe institute um that was, i think how that was handled was com like completely unfair they're all native german or most of them were native german speakers mm. and they were getting results that they definitely wouldn't have gotten if they had actually sat that exam mm. Mm. I think I think we're leaving on, on Tiernan's contribution, will we? Yeah, well done. Um, so listen, thank you everybody again uh, for coming along. I know we didn't have all the answers, but again, the purpose of these podcasts is not really to give you an answer. Uh, it's to show people that this kind of conversation goes on in trade unions, in branch meetings around the country, at meetings where they make decisions. We're having these conversations all the time, the pros, the cons, people are arguing for, people are arguing against. That's what goes on. Um, and I, I, the reason we have this, I suppose, podcast is I, I get the sense from social media um, that people don't understand that, that that's what goes on. I'm talking about teachers. Teachers don't seem to see, and I'm only picking up the vibe from social media, but don't seem to understand that this is what goes on at branch meetings. This is how we come to uh, positions on different things um but i will say and uh turn to yourself thanks for coming along um yeah well done I, I will say um that to the students the leaving search students something is going to be sorted for you this year you know i would i wouldn't be worrying uh that you're not going to be left in the lurch you're not going to be left without your points you're not going to be left without your college place and um, because something is definitely going to be done what that is yet we don't know um but just keep the head down, keep doing what you're doing and something will be sorted for you. So just, uh, you know, don't, uh, don't give up hope or despair or, 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 you know, become down and stressed. I know it's easy for me to say, I'm not the one sitting the, the bleeding thing, but um, you know, it, I, I really mean that. I mean, look, something is going to be done here and you were going to be sorted and you're going to be get this. We're going to put this 
part of our our, our lives behind us, you know. So listen, uh, thanks again, uh, everybody. Just wanted to give you a flavour of some of the discussion that's going on out there. Um, and uh, thanks a lot. And that brought the uh, episode to a conclusion. So again, thank you very much for uh, listening. And if you did like what you heard, please do subscribe. The podcast is available on Apple, Spotify uh, and Google uh, Podcasts. Um, so please do subscribe. Again, we do have an email and the email is inside our schools podcast at gmail.com. So you can email me here directly um, about any topics you would like uh, discussed. If you would like to come on the show, um, I sincerely mean this. We do take all voices, even if it's uh, the opposite view to some of the voices that you've heard in the first few podcasts. Uh, if you want to come on. Uh, have a shot we can have a debate we can have an argument that's okay if you support a lot of the views you've heard again you can come on too so um so listen again thank you for listening uh, and uh, stay safe